How's it going, church? You doing good? Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Good Thanksgiving? Um, I know for me, like, man, my Thanksgiving was, was really, really good. I think, like, as I get older, I'm realizing, like, how awesome of a holiday Thanksgiving is. Because when I was, when I was younger, it was like, Thanksgiving always felt, like, anticlimactic to me. Like, it was always this big holiday for this one meal, and I would hype myself up, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to eat, like, five plates, I'm just going to go crazy, and then I, you know, then it finally, you know, you wait till four in the afternoon is what my family always does, and I'm starving, and then I eat, like, one and a half plates, and then my gut hurts for the rest of the night, and then that's the holiday. Um, and so I, it was always, like, Thanksgiving, whatever, like, I'm ready for Christmas, but I'm realizing, I think in this past week for me, how beautiful of a holiday it is that we just get to come, and I hope this is what you felt, is time where you could just be, right? Like how beautiful is it that we have a time set aside where we gather around family or people we love and care about and just eat and be in communion. And I don't think there's anything more human than just living, right? than that act that we did. And so I was really struck by that. That's not, this isn't what I'm talking about this morning, but I was really struck by that over this past week and just spent time with my family. And in my prayer, I really hope that you in some way felt that. Um, I realize that holidays are complicated, family is complicated, all of this, but I hope there was a feeling of being. Um, with that being said, can we, can we pray and, and get into the message for this morning? Dear God, praise you for, praise you for your love, for your goodness. Lord, we are grateful for you. And so we just pause in this moment, God, as before I speak, before I say another word, that we would just let you come and that we would be struck by your love, God, because that's all we want and all we need is your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so for most of my life, right, growing up in the church and whatnot, for most of my life, if you would have asked me what was the, the, the sort of guiding voice in my life, like what was I listening to, what was the guiding voice ultimately that I followed, um, I would have told you Jesus. I would have told you Jesus, and I, um, in a lot of ways, that was a true statement. It was. I was following Jesus. I was listening to that voice, but over the past few years, what I've realized is that there was another voice that I let have a seat at the table in my life that spoke over me in a lot of ways, and this was the voice that told me, you're not good enough. This was the voice that told me, who do you think you are? This was the voice that says, you're never going to find love, dude. You're weird. This was the voice that said things like, you're ugly, you're awkward. Like, why are you going into ministry? You're, you're a fraud. This was the voice that said, you're never going to get over that sin, dude. Like, you're, ne you're just not. 
so you might as well just cover it up. And this, as many of you know, and you can see behind me that this is the voice of shame. Right, and as I, as I said some of those things, my guess is that those thoughts, those feelings, it's not something that's foreign to you. Right, because I, I think the sad reality is that if you're sitting in this room, you felt shame in one form or another. Brene Brown, a therapist, and, and really like the, um, the utmost researcher on the issue of shame, defines it as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And again, I think in our culture today, I think that we have somewhat of a, a shame epidemic on our hands. We're in conversation with, with friends and, and people I know, like, it's not unique to hear sentiments of shame that they've let have a seat at their table. See, I don't, I don't know exactly what shame is speaking in your life this morning. Part of the goal maybe this morning is to uncover that. What are the things that shame is speaking to us? Um, I know that shame runs really two soundtracks in our lives for all of us, is the first one is that you're not enough, and if somehow you can talk it out of that one, the next one it will speak in your life is who do you think you are, right? So maybe you're sitting in this room and shame is speaking over your life that you're not, maybe you're not a good, good enough mother or father, right? And you like look around at all these moms that got it going on and you see them just smiling and you're like, I, like you're crumbling under the weight of this responsibility and you think in your head, well, I'm obviously not good enough and you feel ashamed. Or maybe you feel shame as a father that you're not providing enough for your family. I don't know what shame is speaking in your life. Maybe, maybe it's that you're a disappointment to your family and you feel like I'll never live up to their expectations. I'm just bouncing job from job. I'm beliefs, all of this different things, like they don't line up with what my parents wanted, so I feel ashamed and I feel alone and I don't know what to do. Maybe you feel shame at your job, right? Like it seems like you're just covered head to toe in things that you're not very good at and you don't know what to do. You know, and you went and got a degree, you know, to, to do that job and you're finding out that like, maybe this isn't what I wanna do, but I don't know what I want to do and you're crumbling. Maybe the voice of shame is the one that speaks over you every time you stumble over watching porn because you feel like an absolute fraud And instead of going to somebody, shame tells you to cover it up and hide it. And don't let anybody know, especially those you care about. Because if they found out, they would know too that you're a fraud. Maybe shame is the voice that you hear loud and clear every time you look in a mirror. And shame tells you that you're not enough. 
not pretty enough, not wearing the right clothes. I don't know. I think, I think it's important to mention here that a couple of things. First is that shame shows up both, both when we've sinned, right? When we've fallen short of what God desires of us. Take, for example, watching porn. I think we can all agree that that is falling short, but I, I also think shame shows up when we perceive to have done wrong, meaning that we have this, this image or this thing that we think that we ought to attain, and when we don't, then shame enters the conversation and says, see, you're not good enough, right? To think that, you know, being a bad mom is that's not a sin, right? But yet, we have this expectation for ourselves that that's what we ought to be, and so shame enters and says, ha ha, look. I also want to paint the clear difference this morning between shame and guilt. And again, Brene Brown is the one who describes it this way. She says, she says guilt shows up when you've made a mistake and says, hey, you've made a mistake. Shame shows up when you've made a mistake and says you are the mistake. Notice the difference? It's a difference of identity, right? Because shame shows up and says, see, you are that. That's who you are. The culmination of who you are as a human being is a fraud, is a failure, is a sinner. And it's not helpful at all to live within that cycle. One psychologist calls shame the swampland of the soul. And I think for us this morning, our goal is not to try to take up residence right in that swampland. None of us want to live in a swampland. We are not Shrek. None of us want to live in that, but I think we ought to go into that swampland this morning and pick out the parts of us that are still there. Because I think if we are honest with ourselves in some ways, shame still is speaking into our lives. And so, this morning I want to, I wanna, I think it would be helpful for us to go to where shame first enters the scene. And that's, Genesis chapter three. Um, if you've been around church and Christianity long enough, you understand this story, right? There is a garden. Adam and Eve are in the garden. God's created all of this. And there's some trees that they're not supposed to, called not to eat from, and they eat from it. Because a serpent had deceived them and so we pick up in, in Genesis chapter three, and I want to just pause quickly and say, there's a lot of different things in, when we talk about this story, and you've heard it so many times, I think it's important not to get stuck on details after details, but rather ask ourselves when we're looking at this, like, how does this inform the human condition, right? Like, 
it's, it's talking through that in a narrative and asking, like, how does this inform our human condition? And so if you would pick up and read in Genesis 3, starting in verse 8, and it says this, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruits, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate. Now there's a lot of, right, a lot of things to pick apart again in the story, but what I wanna do this morning is focus on God's words. Because, right, in this story, all of a sudden, this thing called shame comes upon humanity, comes upon Adam and Eve, and they're crippled by it, and they don't have language or understand why, and yet they go, and they just run, and they hide, and they give them some sort of covering, and all of a sudden, God shows up, and he speaks, and the first two things God says, and they're both questions, notice this. The first one is, where are you? See, shame, again, it causes us to run and hide. And God shows up and says, where are you? Just so we're all on the same page, God knows where they are. And, they, and he also knows why they are where they are. He knows why they've hidden. And yet God shows up and says, where are you? I want you in my presence. Notice this, when we're talking about our shame, God is showing up in that, in that shame, not after it, in the middle of it and saying, where are you? I want you. There is nothing that we can do that God wouldn't continue to chase after us. You need to hear this. If you're struggling with shame this morning, God is calling out and saying, where are you? Where are you? The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, he says, is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit? to be out of your sight. If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact, darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. See, there's nowhere you can go that God won't chase after you. Where can you go? 
Where are you? And then notice the next question he asks. Who said you were naked? Who said you were naked? This question is getting at the issue of authority, right? Because notice, it wasn't God who said they were, said they were naked. It was shame. And so maybe right now, God is asking you, who said you weren't enough? Who said you were fraud? Who said you're not cut out for ministry? Who said you're not a good mom? Because it wasn't me. Who said you were ugly? It wasn't me. Who said it? Who said that I had some sort of tally mark system that, you know, you get so many sins and then I'm going to cut you off? Who said it? Because it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And then, and of course, there's, we're going to skip through some of this God then dishes out reprimands them for, for the place where they've done wrong, right? Because it's not a denial of not doing wrong. There's still that. But what God is getting at is it doesn't define who they are, and it certainly doesn't define his relationship with them. And so after all of that, God, no questions asked, the divine slaughters an animal and gives them a covering, right? Like they tried to put together this incomplete covering of fig leaves and, and God shows up and says, no, like that's, that's not enough. Let me give you a covering. And I think in this, there's some foreshadowing of the person of Jesus who will one day come, has come for us, entered into humanity, meaning that he himself also took on shame, took on everything that we feel as human beings, all of those questions can empathize with who we are as human beings and because of that can be through the cross a complete covering for who we are. Jasmine Holmes, beautiful book called Never Cast Out. She writes this, take this in. And the places where you sense shame over your sins, Jesus covers you with his sacrifice and righteousness. In the places you sense shame for the things that are not sin, he bears the humiliation in your place and covers you with his, enter, with his intercession. Here's the bottom line. Shame is a liar. Because if we listen to God's words, right, I think it's so easy to sort of confuse the voice of shame and the, view, and the, and the voice of God, and sometimes we feel like, well, that's, that's just God reprimanding us, and it's not. 
I think Genesis 3 makes that actually abundantly clear. And so when we are faced with the reality of shame, we can either give it a seat at the table or listen to the voice of God. And with, within the framework of the unconditional love of God, shame has no place. If we truly believe that God's love for us is unconditional, never-ending, he continues to chase after us, then why, why listen to shame? Shame has no place in that. We don't have to listen to it. Another quote from author Scott Erickson in his book, Say Yes, says, God is love. And love wants to pour itself out on you, but if you can't receive love, if you secretly hate the person love made you to be, this body, life, soul is the only container you've been given to receive love in. And if all you're doing day after day is trying to trade out that container, then love will fall flat. See, it's necessary for us. If we want to receive this love of God, we have to allow it. But if we continue to let shame have the front seat, have the steering wheel of our lives, then it will continue to say, you're not good enough, you're not this, you're not this, and we will continue to try to trade out who we are and who God is desperately trying to pour into, and we will miss it. We'll miss it. Poet Rudy Francisco has a beautiful poem named Instructions, and I want maybe to just let these words fall on our souls this morning. He says, gather your mistakes, rinse them with honesty and self-reflection, let dry until you can see every choice and the regret becomes brittle. Cover the entire surface in forgiveness. Remind yourself that you are human and this too is a gift. Right, like there's something beautiful in the fact that we are all humans who sometimes make mistakes, sometimes don't live up to who we're called to be, and yet God enters the scene with his unconditional love and cleanses us. But it takes us recognizing that, surrendering to that, and having grace for ourselves and for others. And so, the antidote to our shame, church, the antidote to our shame, both ours and to those around us, right, as a community, is empathy. It's empathy. Brene Brown, to quote her again, says, empathy is the antidote to shame. If you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three things to grow exponentially, secrecy, silence, and judgment. 
If you put the same amount of shame in a Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. It can't survive. And that's what I think is so beautiful about, right, God showing up on this scene to these humans, crippled by shame, and says to them, where are you? And who told you? Who told you you were naked? Meaning, come to me. And that's not how I see you. And so this morning, for us, I, I, think, I think maybe we just need to take a few minutes, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, we are silent at the beginning of the day because God should have the first word and we are silent before going to sleep because the last word also belongs to God. And I think the same ought to be true when it comes to our time together. And so just like I took some time to pause at the beginning of the message, I think it would only be right if we took time now to pause and to listen to the voice of God. And so maybe for, for you in the room, maybe it's identifying the voice of shame. Maybe for so long, the voice of shame and the voice of God and the voice of others, it was all blended together. And maybe this morning you need to listen and say, no, this is, this is shame and call it out. This is not a helpful soundtrack in my life. Maybe as soon as I brought up and the first slide popped up with shame, you were like, yeah, I know, I, mm -hmm. I know what shame's telling me. I know those soundtracks. Way too familiar. Maybe you walked in all covered in it. And you need to listen to the voice of God in these moments. Who's saying to you, where are you? Because I'm right here and I'm not going away. Maybe listen to him say, who told you you were those things? Who told you you weren't good enough? Who told you I was disappointed in you? Who told you you were a fraud? Who told you you couldn't be whatever it is you want to be? Because it wasn't me. I don't know. I don't know what that is for you this morning, but I just want to take a few minutes before we go in the last song, if we could just sit in that. 